Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The Big Bets on Campus podcast. 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 All right, here we go. Welcome to the Big Bets on Campus podcast presented by BetMGM. I'm your host, Tim Kalinowski of Action Network, and not a full BCS crew this week, but we do have Brett McMurphy and we do have Stucky. This is the week six reaction, and boy, did we have a lot to talk about from week six. I struggled to find a biggest moment, but let's just, I guess, sort of chronological here. Oklahoma beats Texas. 34 to 30. I'll pose uh, the first way I think we can look at this, but there are a number of layers to peel back here. Brett, do we owe Brett Venables an apology? I think I might owe him one as I was thinking he was going to be packing his bags on his way back to Clemson. But man, he has this team humming. Well, yeah, I never thought his job was in danger. Do we owe him an apology? I, I don't know. They were you know, four or five point underdog. And if you play that game, probably 10 times, Texas probably went seven times. Texas outgained them. Texas, though, committed three turnovers. Oklahoma committed none. However, give Oklahoma credit. They won it. Um, you know, it looks like there will be a rematch in the Big 12 title game. I don't see how there's not going to be one. And um, I wanted to ask Stucky this. In the rematch in a Cotton Bowl, if these guys take care of business 12 and over, 11 and one, what do you project that line to be? I would guess Texas minus minus three or four. Am I close? Yeah, I mean, it depends on what injuries and what they do the rest of the season uh, compared to expectations. But, yeah, I mean, uh, I had it seven going into that game. Um, would have it you know, slightly downgraded Texas, slightly downgraded Oklahoma. Market obviously was a little higher on Oklahoma than I was. So yeah, I would think maybe three and a half, four, like you said, the, even if you look at the yardage and, and look, Oklahoma won the turn of a battle three, nothing and had a goal line stand yeah. <laughs> uh, on from first and goal at the one. Uh, and then if, even if you look at the yardage and the yards per play, 80 of the Oklahoma yards came at the end when number one, Texas was going way too fast. I was saying it at the time. Like there was a, a very clear path to run out that clock, kick the field goal to win it. But then on top of that, they were playing pre then at the end and they were playing soft, which was just mind blowing. So then the, a lot of those Oklahoma yards at the end, right? They were like, 
they were just against soft coverage. You got to give Gabriel credit. You have to give Oklahoma credit. But yeah, I mean, if Texas just times it better or scores there, and teams that lose the turnover battle three nothing, I mean, you're rarely ever going to win a game like that. Um, so I thought that there was poor coaching on both sides. There was just a ton of sloppiness, special teams mistakes. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't think that we owe Venables an apology yet. If uh, you know they go to the college football playoff, they run the table, and their, their schedule is certainly conducive to to doing so, then uh, we can give them a little more credit. But it was it was a Red River rivalry. It was close and crazy. It's what we normally see. Last year was an anomaly because Oklahoma was running. Wildcat was a third-string quarterback. But, yeah, I agree. I think Texas wins that game more times than not. But I tip, tip my cap to Oklahoma. But uh, it wasn't any shocking result. You know, they didn't win by 28 and dominate the game. Yeah, Stucky, you touched on it with the clock management there at the end for Sark and that Texas team. Brett, do you see it the same way? Is this We love to overreact as college football fans, analysts, you being a writer. Like, can we – can we re- can we rip our hair out over the Sark um, management there at the end of the game? I mean, you know, I guess so. You know, it's like after the fact. If it if it doesn't work, you know, you're an idiot. If it works, then nobody says anything about it. But you know, like Stucky said, it was it was curious that that they were doing that. That they weren't you know letting heating up more of the clock. But look, they're not the first that's done that, and they certainly won't be the last team. Uh, you know, you sit there and you see teams that have these leads late in the game and they're snapping the ball with 20 seconds left on the play clock. And I'm sitting there going, what What are you doing? You know, rare. it's like rarely you see somebody wait until five seconds left. NFL, they do it perfectly. Obviously, they know better. They've got 500 coaches. They, they tell them exactly what to do, at least for the most part. College, though, you see the guys are so used to the hurry up, they'll get up there and snap it. 15 seconds, 20 seconds left, three or four plays. That's a minute right there that you could have cut off the clock, but you didn't. And then ultimately it comes back and bites you. Yeah, and that is not just the tip of the iceberg when we talk about clock management. And we will get to Miami. But Stucky, you touched on the Big 12 championship implications. We all expect to see a rematch. My question is with the Big 10, the top of the Big 10 being so strong, the Pac-12 being so strong, and so on and so on. I My take going into this game was that whoever wins it, you better hope that they go undefeated and win the conference because what do you think the committee does with if they end up splitting here and you got two Big 12 one-loss teams that had split games? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's the, big, the, the problem is with the Big 12, as you alluded to, and and to get back to Brett's point, yeah, there's always Monday morning quarterback. You could say, look, Texas was going fast to catch Oklahoma off guard, but those were my thoughts at the time. Um, and I also do hate when you play, always play prevent at the end. But like, I mean, look at look at the Ravens. The Ravens were aggressive against the Steelers on Sunday late and gave up a long touchdown. So there's always two sides to the coin. But I, that, those were my thoughts at the time. So, um, but yeah, the the problem with the Big Twelve is that the conference looks extremely down this year. Um, you're talking about, you know, look at the two teams that played in the Big 12 championship last year. One of them that went to the national championship in TCU, they've had a couple bad losses as double-digit favorites. We just saw Kansas State go down again. You know, Baylor's way down. Just across the board, the Big 12 doesn't have the depth. So what that means is, like, your wins that you're picking up along the way aren't as impressive to your resume. 
And the Big Ten's the same way. There's just no depth in the Big Ten this year. Like the you know the tops are as good as it usually is, and but the you know the middle to bottom tier is worse than we've seen it in recent seasons. So it definitely weakens your resume. Um, I think the Pac-12 this year is the the deepest conference. So you know I, I think like if you have a one loss Pac-12 champion versus a one loss Big Twelve champion the Pac-12 might get the nod, but there's so much left to be determined. It's, I mean, it's, it's so hard to kind of <laughs> conjecture what, what, what is going to happen and what everything's going to look like. There's, there's so much football to be played still. Uh, but the, the, definitely the big 10 and the big 12's strength of schedule, strength of conference could work against the champion because there's a lot of scenarios that I work through in my head where, because we've talked about this a million times, it's the perfect year for an expanded playoff. So if I had to guess, if I had to surmise, there's going to be someone that is going to get shafted right at the end. And we're going to have to <laughs> say like, okay, we have to decide between, you know, cook them down to, all right, are we taking the one loss big 12 champion or are we taking the one loss pack 12 champion? And it might just come down to, okay, look at all these wins that the pack 12 champion had and their, you know, strength of resume is a lot stronger and that usually hasn't been the case in the past with the Pac-12 but I think it is this year. I think it's very simple. Oklahoma will not make the playoff if they do not win the Big 12 title game. It's that simple. Because you look at their non-conference schedule, they didn't play anybody that's worth anything. Now you look at who they're playing within the Big Big 12. They've got to win over Texas, obviously would be big. But if they lose the championship game to Texas, they've got nothing to you know that would compare favorably against other conferences. Plus, Texas would be the Big 12 champion. Won at Alabama. Texas won at Alabama. No, I'm talking about Oklahoma. For for Oklahoma, they have to they have to win the Big 12 title to get into the playoff. If they lose to Texas in the in the Big 12 title game, OU cannot get in. OU's got one ranked team left. That's Kansas in a couple weeks. The committee looks at a, the ranking based on the week of the ranking. So if Kansas doesn't finish the season ranked, then OU will have played one ranked team. That would be Texas in a Dallas and then Texas in the big 12 title game. So if they lose that, they're 12 and one, they don't have a conference championship. The committee values the conference championship more. That benefits Texas. If Texas wins the rematch, then the committee could say, look, they won the rematch. They had the three turnovers in the first game. They outgained them. They had the second Second chance, they took care of business. And that win against Alabama looks better and better as Alabama continues to win. So I think Texas at Texas at 12-1 and one is the Big 12 champ. Absolutely will get in, again, as long as four teams don't go undefeated. But I think Texas at 12-1 and one would get in because they would have the rematch win against Oklahoma. They have the win at Bama. That's huge. And um, I think that would compare favorably with, with everyone else. Obviously, if OU loses a regular season game and then sweeps Texas, and then they're at then they're at uh, twelve and one, they are the Big Twelve champs. Then they're going to be playing with fire because you look at their overall schedule. They would have beaten Texas twice, and nobody else on the, the, the remainder of the schedule was a ranked opponent. And that's not going to that's not going to compare with anybody in the Pac twelve, the Big Ten, the SEC, the ACC. Yeah, I think that's a good way to boil it down. If you're going to compare these two, trump card, Alabama, advantage, Texas. So put that to bed. We're That's going to play itself out. We got to go to the perhaps one of the biggest coaching blunders we have 
ever seen. Miami, Mario Cristobal, they are running the ball when they do not need to. Up 20-17 to 17 with 35-ish seconds left in that game. Georgia Tech ends up getting the ball back. They, they, they recover a fumble. Two plays later, they're in the end zone. Miami, egg all over their face. Brett, what in the world did you make of this as a guy who's seen a lot of coaching mishaps? Does this top it? Uh, this is either 1A or 1B, and I know Stucky hates when I go back in, to- in my time machine. Um, but look, I, rem- I the, when that happened, I remember this immediately because it was it was a Big 8, Big 12. Well, not the Big 8, Big 12, Southwest Conference. I don't even know what conference they were in then. Uh, it was 1999. Um, Baylor, first-year coach Kevin Steele. Yes, that Kevin Steele. He took over a Baylor program that had had consecutive losing seasons, four straight years. It only won four games the last two years combined. Baylor opened the season at Boston College. They lost 30-29. to 29. They come back. They come home in Waco. Their home opener against UNLV. Baylor's winning 24-20 to 20 with less than 30 seconds left. Baylor has the ball on the five. Steele is wanting to showcase Baylor and show that this is a different mentality, power, strength, all that nonsense. Runs up the kid, runs up the middle, fumbles at the one. UNRV returns it 99 yards for a touchdown on the last play of the game. UNRV beats Baylor 27 24. That is the only thing that I can think of that can compare to what Cristobal did against Miami. Obviously, you guys have seen all this stuff on social media. I tweeted it too. He did the same thing when he was at Oregon um, against Stanford. He didn't need the ball. That cost him the game. I actually went back. It's weird. I get a bunch of emails from people. Hey, Mario Cristobal never kneels down. He always runs the ball at the end of the game. So I actually went back, went through play-by-plays of looking at in-game situations for Cristobal. Bad news for my conspiracy theory folks. Cristobal actually has taken kneels. Uh, Last year, he kneeled down in some games that were less than a touchdown. Why in the world he didn't do it here? I don't know. One of the funniest things I saw on Twitter was that, uh, you know, rumor has it that Miami may let go of Cristobal and they're looking to hire West Virginia's Neil K-N-E-E-L Brown. But yeah, Tim, uh, uh, I had to go back to 99 with uh, Baylor to, to come up with something even close. I knew you'd have an answer. I knew you'd have an answer. Stucky, one all-time great Twitter moments. What were you thinking as this whole thing unfolded? Something that Brett forgot about. If you go back to uh, just before World War II, um, <laughs> I'm kidding. The uh, I No, I started tweeting about that Oregon game right after they lost the fumble. Because I, it was one of the worst beats I've ever had. I had Oregon in that game and was going bananas, ripping Cristobal for a month after that happened. One of the worst beats I've ever had. Stanford ties it and wins in overtime. Um, it was horrendous. So I mean, you play with fire. And this is why I always get so upset. Like, and it's hard with kids, right? Like, a kid wants to go in and score at the end. I get it. But, like, why I'm always like, just go down. You take knees when you can. Be cognizant of the clock, like right. Understand that, okay. If I if I if I just need to waste four to five seconds a knee, and then I can run out the clock. But make sure your quarterback goes back. These are little things. It's going to not matter ninety nine point nine percent of the time, and you're still going to win. But this was the point one percent, and why you never risk it. And 
it, the crazy thing is Cristobal already played with fire, already got burnt, <laughs> and still didn't learn. Uh, the, so, yeah, it was shocking. Jimbo Fisher, too, is on, on my shit list. Cost me a bet there. Of course, Texas a can't get a yard, and he's kicking a field goal from the one after you <laughs> after burning a timeout, not kicking it deep, uh, just coaching malpractice everywhere. Uh, we'll talk about this later in the week. I think the most interesting angle to come of that is – you know, obviously Miami was like a sneaky, like, are they in the discussion for the college football playoff? You know, that's out of the cards now. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess if they run the table, they could get back in the discussion. But that's just a devastating loss. And if you go back to, you know, the, the clips of that game, there are, I don't know, 10 to 15 Miami players crying on the sidelines. Like, how do they bounce back from that? And, like, is there a locker room effect is there like a f this coach you cost us this game and how do they recover at north carolina this week in one of the marquee games of the weekend against the carolina team that's looked really good like that's the team that we need to start talking about are they the team that no one's talking about to get to the college football playoff um you know the schedule hasn't been great but they've taken care of business uh with ease and they have one of the best quarterbacks in the entire country but how does miami bounce back from that i don't know the answer to it but they were emotional and like, how does Cristobal like come to practice after that game? And how does he rally the troops? Um, it's good. That's a, that's a tough, that's a tough job to do. I tweeted this. I felt bad for this guy. He had his ticket on there. He had a 12 team, basically money line and alternate money line parlay, 7,000 to win 45,000. All he needed was Miami to win. That was the final game. And Miami loses the game. He loses. He loses the chance to win forty five thousand on that play. You think you think he's feeling great uh, after Saturday night? Forget the Miami players. How do you bounce back from that? <laughs> I have no idea. Quickly, Brett. In your experience, we know these coaches as stubborn. You know, ruling with an iron fist. You think he goes in that locker room and says, "Guys, I messed up. It's on me." How common is that? I would think he's got to, or, or he would lose the locker room. I mean, offensive coordinator Shannon Dawson came out um, on Monday and said, you know, look, I made the call. It's my fault. We're going to move on. You know, is he is he falling on the grenade for Cristobal? Well, you know, I don't know. If, we probably won't know until somebody does a, a year later that the oral history of Miami and, and Georgia Tech. But, um, yeah, like Stucky said, you saw these kids crying. You saw, you know, forgot what player it was on the sideline like saying what what the f just happened you know i mean that's that's devastating because it's so simple it's not a it's not throwing a pick six it's not you know doing something you know that's just a mistake it's just it's something that 999,000 out of a million times you would not that would never happen and here's the one in a million time it happened and like stuck said miami was quietly making some noise is possibly a playoff contender. And, you know, I'm surprised the Carolina line's only three. I mean, that looks like the sucker player of the year, unless it's gone up. How do you not take Carolina minus minus a field goal? Um, but, yeah, Miami's got Carolina, Clemson. I mean, they could go in a tailspin here. Then they've got Florida State, Louisville at the end of the year. So what was once a promising season after, a look, a very impressive win against A&M. And now, you know, they're kind of midway wondering you know what what's going to happen if they get yep. blown out by carolina stay far far away from that team betting them for the rest of the season 
it was just the perfect, perfect storm. And I want to talk, you guys talked a little about North Carolina. They've kind of figured out that defense a little bit. A team that cannot figure out the defense is USC. Late, late, late night game on Saturday night. I kept saying to myself, oh, I'm going to go to bed after this. I'm going to go to bed after this. They play with their food like no other team. I got to ask, what would this team look like, Brett, without Caleb Williams? How would this even work? (laughs) uh, Their defense would still suck. I know that. I'm just surprised, you know, Stuck has his situational plays that have that have done very well the last three years. Stuck, I, I was actually surprised that um, you didn't have Arizona as a situ- situational play. USC coming off the big hyped game at Colorado. They're at Notre Dame next week. But yeah, I mean, what would they be without Caleb Williams? I mean, I, they'd still be, uh, they'd be five and one. Maybe they lose to Arizona. Um, but they they would have beat Colorado. They would have won the other games. So look, they they're right now they're six and zero. Oh. They've got four wins over teams that are combined three and nineteen. That's three more wins than than we all have. And then their other two wins are against two unranked teams by seven points and by two points in uh, in triple overtime. So uh, you know, look, SC's at Notre Dame. Then they have Utah. You know, I'm not. I do my bold projections. I am not putting them. Forget about the playoff. I'm not putting them in a New Year's Six game because I think they're going to lose at least two more, maybe more. And, oh, yeah, I didn't even mention they, their last three games. Washington at Oregon, UCLA. Yeah, this team is uh, is a paper tiger. Stuck, do you concur? What would the spread be without Caleb Williams? He's got to be worth, what, 21 points? I mean, my goodness, it's a magic eraser. Yeah, but we've seen this formula before. These are This is just the old Oklahoma teams. Um, an absolute, another more coaching malpractice. We had paddle. We we saw this with paddleboat Ron not go for two as a nine point dog against the Eagles, and <laughs> now you have Fish with the ultimate Fish move, uh, not going for two. Chance to beat your twenty one point dogs. You're not winning the national title this year. This season defining win, like huge recru- like recruiting boost. Go f- you go for two against the USC defense. And the, the the and you're playing against the number one over likely the number one overall pick, and you want to go to a two point off. Um, so that first overtime, you go for two, go for the win. You're twenty one point every single time. I mean, even if you're like four point dogs, you should too. But three touchdown underdogs, chance to shock the world, one play, you got to go for two there. But yeah, USC's not winning anything with that day. It's dreadful. It's dreadful. So. We're going to go play our game in a second. Um, who does this say more about? But first, want to let you know that we're brought to you today by Manscaped, who's taken a step up from Balloween to bring your face the cleanest shave it's ever seen. So this season, no need to toil in trouble. Manscaped's all-new handyman is the best way to get rid of that stubble, featuring a compact design and next-gen skin-safe technology. The handyman was designed to give you that smooth finish without the mess of a traditional shave. Get the sweetest treat this Halloween by going to manscaped.com and use code BBOC for 20% off plus free shipping. Halloween costumes might take effort, but beard grooming doesn't need to with the handyman. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code BBOC at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com. That's manscaped.com and use code BBOC for a look as sweet as candy. Get yourself the handyman from Manscaped. Okay. 
I like to play this game. Who does this game say more about? Team A or Team B? Let's insert first Notre Dame versus Louisville. They lose 33-20. to Notre Dame was a darling at first, and this Louisville team has just quietly, quietly, quietly crept into the national picture. Brett, who is this more of an indictment on? Well, for Notre Dame, I mean, it was their third consecutive game against a team that was undefeated. Um, <laughs> it's funny. I get a lot of reactions based on my my vote in the AP poll, based on my bowl projections. You know, Louisville's undefeated, 6-0. and They've had some scares. You know, seven points against Indiana. They pulled one out. Pretty fortunate at NC State, but they are undefeated. And, uh, you know, I actually had somebody that works at Louisville <laughs> send me a text and it, like, dude, you've got us at number 11 in the Orange Bowl. And I'm like, what do you, you what do you want me to do? Put you in the Independence Bowl and not rank you? I mean, you know, you've won what you've won. But I think this was kind of the just I think Notre Dame was just worn out at this point. Um, I, I'm not sure. I don't know if Stucky has an opinion. I, I'm not sure how good Louisville is right now. Obviously, before the season, Colin did his his um, power ratings, and he had Louisville projected to be favored in every game. Obviously, that they were not favored against Notre Dame. But um, Danny Cannell, I remember he he tweeted out, "Well, it, when that happened, where where can I get that line? Let me let me put some money on it." So I was sure to text him uh, earlier today, and I'm like, "Hey, dude, uh, remember your remember your tweet from back then? Uh, you would have lost." And he goes, "Ah, yeah, I know, I remember that, but." Um, you know, I, I just don't know how good Louisville is now. And, you know, their their schedule is is pretty well set. Duke and uh, at Miami, and then Kentucky in the final game, where they could flirt with uh, an undefeated season. Probably not, but at least double digit wins. So I guess it, I think it says a little bit more about, um, maybe just Notre Dame was worn out. Louisville is obviously a different team with Jeff Braun. Yeah, Brett keeps receipts. Stucky, who is this more about? Yeah, this was clear. I mean, we we talked this in the podcast. It was just an awful spot for Notre Dame. Like you played two games that went right down to the final play against Duke and Ohio State. You can go go back to the beginning of the year, right? They started off playing overseas. I mean, their schedule's been nonstop. Uh, whoever designed the schedule, um, <laughs> not not doing Notre Dame any favors. And yeah, so I just think they were worn out. And then on the other side, you had a Louisville team. This is a hype spot for them. Uh, I, I never, I never knew that Louisville fans hated Notre Dame so much. By the way, judging from Twitter, I, I, there's, is there like a big history there? But that, Every, they, like, I think that's everybody hates Notre Dame. Yes, no, that's true. <laughs> but uh, they like sold out. They were sold out, right? Uh, undefeated. They sold out for the first time in a while. Um, and I know they've, I think they've added some seats there, but. You know, they're undefeated, playing Notre Dame. They they had the juice, and Notre Dame didn't. I just think that's all it said. I mean, just look at the whole body of work for Louisville. They, they could have lost to Georgia Tech, which looks worse now. Oh, yeah. I know that they just beat Miami, but, you know, Georgia Tech lost to Bowling Green. They could have lost to Indiana. <laughs> that, that that looks way worse. Indiana almost lost to a- the Corpse of Akron at home. Um, speaking of teams that should have went for two. Um, <laughs> and, you know, so and then – they they should have lost to NC State if, if Brennan Armstrong doesn't throw a duck into the end zone. I mean, look at all these teams. They've Georgia Tech has fired their defensive coordinator since or demoted them. Indiana's fired their offensive coordinator since. NC State has demoted their quarterback. So I mean, these teams were not uh, well-oiled machines in Louisville. Barely won. Now here's the thing: we knew this coming into the season. 
Louisville had the schedule where they could make some noise. And now you might have a tailspin Miami team that quits, which looked like the the, the probable loss. So, um, yeah, who knows how many games they can win. But I'm still not a believer in this team. There's way too many red flags. Uh, I'm looking to fade them this week. Sadly, <laughs> you're, they got to play another team that's demoted their quarterback to a tight end. Um, like this is the this is the Louisville schedule. Uh, I got to bet Nardog, I think, this week, which is – I'm dreading it. I never want Saturday to come. Yeah, my dad uh, is old school. He says, everyone that's undefeated, they should be at the top of the AP poll. So I'm like, ah, Dad, I'm, I'm not so sure. But, hey, he's old school. Brett, Alabama. Beats Texas A&M at Texas A&M. Bama looks like they're still Bama. At least they can figure it out. They win 26 to 20. Who does this say more about? I think it shows that, uh, you know, Jimbo Fisher is going to let Petrino run the offense until it's fourth down, and then he's going to decide when to punt. And, you know, Stucky mentioned the field goal down there near the goal line. That That's a head-scratching decision. You know, Alabama's not going anywhere, but this was certainly a game that A&M could have won, could have won, probably should have won. But bottom line, they didn't. Um, you know, they got outcoached by Saban. There were rumors early in the week that maybe Milrow was pulled a hammy or something. You know, he looked fine. And, you know, Alabama's just going to keep winning. And, you know, I don't see anybody on the rest of their, you know, maybe Tennessee, Tennessee's a revenge game, so they'll be jacked up. LSU, you know, anyone can score 50 on LSU. Um, so, you know, they'll get Georgia in the SEC title game. But uh, A&M had their opportunity and and couldn't do it. And, uh, the, you know, boy, they, they, they should have won that game. They had so many chances. They just – I think they got outcoached. <laughs> Stucky, plus two and a half, A&M bias aside. <laughs> Who's to say more about – yeah, uh, I'll say a little bit of both. I mean, look, even if you want to kick the field goal there, like you're already down that you're at the one, like you should go for it. But I get it if you want to kick the field goal, but you can't burn a timeout. And then you should you should kick it deep, um, uh, in my opinion. And if you had and if you had all three timeouts, and then you would have some field position to work with. But uh, I'll give some credit to Alabama here, and I think it did say some things about them. Look, their defense is coming on to top five defense, and what they were lacking is, you know, someone stepping up on the outside as your alpha receiver. And Burton certainly uh, emerged as that guy. He had a hell of a game for Alabama, and that's what they really needed uh, on that offense. Um, there's still some issues with Alabama, the offensive line. They had 14 penalties, too. I mean, there, there's been some penalty issues at Alabama um, for a the last while couple now. of years. Yeah, the last couple of years. But uh, so I'll say a little bit of both. Okay, uh, third game here. This might have got squeezed out on a lot of people's TVs. Don't tell Jake Dickert that. But Washington State uh, loses to UCLA 25-17. to Brett, UCLA, they, they coming back. They coming back. Who's to say more about? I think it says more about UCLA. I mean, their defense, they, they just totally shut down Washington State. Washington State never could get going offensively. And once, you know, they – Washington State had a pick six, or this game would have been even more lopsided. Um, you know, UCLA lost at Utah, even with a backup quarterback. It's not easy to play at Utah. So I think this tells us, says more about UCLA. We thought they had one of the best defenses coming in. 
um, before the season. And, you know, they've yet to allow more than 14 points in a game this year. So UCLA looks really good. But um, we'll find out if they're for real. They go out of Oregon State. Obviously not an easy place to play. Um, and then they've got, uh, you know, at SC later on, obviously. But I think this tells us more about UCLA for Washington State. You know, they had the nice win against Wisconsin. And then they got Oregon State at home. But, you know, I think you learn more about teams when they go on the road. And I think this just told, you know, reaffirmed what I thought about UCLA before the season um, is is that they're going to win more than eight and a half games and that they have one of the best defenses in the Pac-12, if not the best defense. What a trump card it is to have a defense that can stop some of that firepower in the Pac-12. Stucky, how impressive was that UCLA defense and who does this say more about? Yeah, I, I would agree with uh, – it says more about UCLA. I mean, they should have won that game by three touchdowns. Uh, they also had like a – there was a field goal blocked, an extra point blocked. They didn't get a two-point conversion. They threw a pick six going in to go up two touchdowns at the end of the half. Uh, they, they outgained Washington State by, I don't know, 300 yards. Um, but, yeah, I think what the, the biggest thing it said about that game is it answered questions about the UCLA pass defense. So the UCLA front we know is good, but they haven't really faced an offense with a pulse this season, so their numbers looked really good. But the Washington State passing attack's been one of the most explosive in the country coming in. And, you know, not only did their did UCLA's defensive line dominate, but the secondary more than held up on the back end. And that's kind of the biggest, that was the lingering question with UCLA coming into this game. And, that, and one that needed to be answered before, you know, they faced the string of all of these high-powered passing attacks in the Pac-12. So it looks like they'll be able to lean on that pass defense. So I, I took much more away from that game in regards to the Bruins. Yeah, excited to see if they can slow down these other high-flying offenses in the Pac-12. Dante Moore needs to be a little bit more consistent, and you would expect him to continue to grow and develop. Um, but because you're, you're only going to get so many stops against, you know, the Washingtons, Oregons, USCs. So uh, watching his development um, is also going to be key to UCLA uh, because they're not, they're not – I mean, their defense is, is not going to be able to do that every game against the, the elite offenses in the Pac-12. So – you're also watching more closely as, as we move forward. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. BBOC is presented by BetMGM. Use bonus code ACTION when signing up to get up to $1,500 paid back in bonus bets if your first bet loses. For new users in Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kentucky, Louisiana, Maryland, Massachusetts, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming, terms and conditions apply. Must be 21 or older gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER. Brett, do you have a sources stumper for us? I do, Tim, and you'll be able to participate. So Colin leads uh, seven. Colin's got seven, Stucky six. Tim, you got two. So Colin, you're not here. So you're going to fall behind. It may sound easy, but it will test your head and your mind and your brain too. 
Yeah, go. I don't claim to be no 36 ACT now. Sources Stumper, America's favorite game show. Uh, this week's question, what are the top eight teams that have the most consecutive current winning seasons? There's eight schools that have won, have consecutive winning seasons of at least 10 years currently. Tim? Are they, all, are they all P5? Are they all Power 5? No. All but one is Power 5. One, one okay. non-Power 5. All right. Alabama. You are correct. They've got 16. They rank number four on the list. Stuck? I'm going to go with the one because I knew that there was one that was when Tim asked that question because it was the one that came to my head. Boise State. They are number one. You know how many years they've gone consecutive winning seasons? Probably since what, like when Cutter took over. I, I don't, uh, maybe like 99. That's close. That would put them at 24. They've had 25, 25 consecutive winning seasons. The Broncos currently three and three. That could be in danger. Uh, Tim, you're up. Uh, my Clemson Tigers. Yes, Clemson uh, is tied for fifth. All 12 seasons, double-digit win seasons for the Tigers. Stuck? This is like post-bowl and everything, right? This is final record, yep. Ah, uh, well, it's not USF, <laughs> yeah. and, it's a, and it's a Brett question, so uh, Oklahoma State. Oak State, 17. Cowboys are number three on the list. Currently three and two. Could the streak be in danger? Tim? Give me Ohio State. Ohio State's actually only seventh on the list, but they are there 11 consecutive winning seasons. We've got three left. They're all power five. Stucky, can you keep it going? I think George's last losing season was like 09, around there. Um, So I think that they they probably made this list. I'm going to go Georgia. Georgia's correct. They're 12 in a row. They're tied with Clemson for fifth. Um, so we have two schools left. The team that is second longest consecutive winning season streak and the team that is eighth on the list. The team that is eighth, 10 consecutive winning seasons. The team that is second, 21 consecutive winning seasons. Tim, you're up. Oregon has to be on this list. Oregon does not have to be on this list. You're wrong. <laughs> no. Yeah, Oregon had like a, a real shit year. Oregon was four and eight in twenty sixteen. Mark Helfrich's oh, the last year of Helfrich, right? Helfrich's yeah. last year, yeah. Twenty plus. Oh, uh, Wisconsin. Yes, Stucky, nice. Wisconsin. So now we're down to the last one, Tim. You can uh you can tie Stuck up with four correct answers or I I have no chance. Um I'm gonna embarrass myself again because Ten years. I'd be fifteen years old. I have to have quite the memory. It's like half my life. Quit age. Quit age. age Jesus. I thought you were going to say you'd be five years old. We get it, kid. You're young. (laughs) I know it got bad, but could it have been that bad for SC? Are you guessing, or you're thinking it out? Yes. Yeah. USC. Yeah, that's my guess. Uh, USC would be incorrect. They were five and seven in 2018. Remember Clay Helton? Yeah, I didn't know it was that bad. I kind of thought he got a raw deal. Yeah. Guess not. It was bad that year. Stuck, you can take five out of eight with this answer. And it's 10 years. It's not Penn State because they had those band years. Uh, Michigan, no. It's no one in the Pac-12. Oklahoma, no, last year. Who the fuck? 
I don't. I don't. I'm gonna say Pit. I, that's wrong, but I can't. No, it's not Pit. Um, I will take one. This is gonna be the same situation as SC, Michigan. No. No. I just told you that's not right, but I was going through. Um, <laughs> you listed twenty teams. I know that I don't have that reading comprehension or listening. No. Yeah, what are you reading? Are you not paying attention? Michigan was two and four in COVID, and even without that, they were oh, five. Yeah, and, yeah, they yeah. were five and seven in twenty fourteen. So they would only be at nine if you threw. They would be at eight if you threw out the COVID year. Iowa. Stucky, nice pull. Oh. The Iowa Hawkeyes, 10 consecutive winning seasons since they went 4-8 under Kirk Ferentz in 2012. That was only Ferentz's third losing season with the Hawkeyes. So you, you got five points, Tim. You got three. Stuck, you pull past Colin. Tim, you close the gap. Tim didn't participate in a few of the early ones, so we'll give him his three and... uh since Colin got some, but there's only one or two, I'll just I'll take uh, I'll take three instead of four points. Well, you had five actually. Yeah, but I'll, I'll just take three because okay. Colin, Colin wasn't here. It was there was it was a big question. So all right, since he didn't Stucky seven, the first Colin I'll, seven, I'll Tim as well. Uh, Prorated, put you at six. There you go. We have football every day this week, but Monday, Stucky. If you have anything, any leans, any talking points about the slates we have this week. Eat them up, cats. Marna, <laughs> Sam Houston, their offense has finally figured out some things. Take over the field goal. And uh, if it doesn't win, you'll get a good voicemail from our producer. Mm. Eat them up, cats. Ooh. Stop. <laughs> Brett, anything that's not eat them up, cats? Uh, look, you guys will call me a homer. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Saturday, Oklahoma State's a three-and-a-half-point underdog to Kansas. Strictly a numbers play here. Under Mike Gundy, the Cowboys, as a home underdog, their last nine games, they've won eight of them outright. I'll take the Cowboys, who look like a totally different team against Kansas State, with the three and a half. That'll do it for us. We had a great time. Make sure that you tune in and keep your uh, notifications on. Subscribe, because Wednesday we will be back with the Group of Five Deep Dive before Colin and Stucky's big betting preview episode out late Thursday. We are presented by BetMGM. That'll do it for the BCS BBOC show. Enjoy the rest of the week and plenty, plenty, plenty of college football. Thank you, guys. Cheers. Network reminds you, please gamble responsibly. If you or someone you care about has a gambling problem, help is available 24-7 at 1-800-GAMBLER.